Austin Pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Those were the questions that the disciples asked Jesus two days before his crucifixion as they were gathered together on the Mount of Olives overlooking the eastern gate of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And those are questions that are echoing through our minds and hearts today, aren't they? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, more and more people are believing that we are in that season referred to as the end of the age. We know that no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, but how can we appraise the season? Now, here's something very interesting that dawned on me as I was preparing for today's program. I knew all of these facts before, but they coalesced in my mind. Are you aware when the Great Reset, which is a euphemism for the inauguration of the One World Order, the global government, is set to take place? It's set to take place in 2030. 2030. In fact, there are a whole slew of globalistic enterprises that are set to take place in 2030. 2030. Now, why that date? What is it about that date? And then it dawned on me. That would be 2,000 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Broadly speaking, there's a lot of discussion as to when Jesus actually was born and when he actually ministered and when he was crucified and rose again. But generally speaking, people believe that he was, experts believe that he was born somewhere around 4 B.C. That would make his ministry somewhere around 27 A.D. And after three years, his crucifixion and resurrection, somewhere around 30 A.D. 30 A.D. How long is 2,000 years from then? 2030. Think about that, friends. It's fascinating. Now, I cannot say, thus saith the Lord. 2030 is the date. No, but we are instructed to know the season. And one of the things that identifies that season are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, called his Olivet Discourse. He said, This uh, gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole earth, and then shall the end come. Those words are engraved on the Christian uh, Broadcasting Network uh, facade, the beautiful building there, headquarters for the Christian Broadcasting Network. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole earth, and then shall the end come. Several years ago, my wife and I were on our way back from Orlando, Florida, and we happened to see the sign that pointed the way to Wycliffe Bible Translators. And so we went there. We drove there and were fascinated by the presentation that we saw, and this was about 10 years ago. At that time, they said that because of technology and the advancement of technology, 
that the preparation for all people groups in the world to receive the gospel and have it translated into their language was rapidly approaching. They said at first we thought it was going to be 25 years, but now because of the rapid development of computers and their power, that time is dramatically shortened. Well, that was 10 years ago, friends. Think about where that might lead us. Maybe somewhere around 2030? The Bible being made available to every people group in the world? And how many of them are there? Well, today on Viewpoint, we have a very special treat for you because Douglas Cobb is joining us with his book, And Then the End Will Come. Now, he's talking about the completion of what is called the Great Commission. And he says there are nine other clues that Jesus is coming very soon. Doug, it's good to have you on the program. Chuck, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, when you think of all those things, I don't know if you've put those numbers together, but it is fascinating, isn't it? I find it fascinating and highly motivating to think <laughs> that our, our, our generation might be the one that actually sees the Great Commission completed, which would be a, a real milestone, and then the you know the things that Jesus said would follow from that are incredibly exciting. So, yes, I, I am incredibly thrilled about that. On our gallery wall here in ministry headquarters, so to speak, a uh, Christian embassy on the shores of the James, is a absolutely gorgeous presentation framed in gold of the Great Commission. I've never seen a more beautifully represented uh, expression of that Great Commission, and we choose to hang it at a very prominent place because even though here on this program we're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home, we're always doing it with the view toward preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. And uh, if Christians, real Christians, are going to be involved in the Great Commission, we might need to wake up and realize that our redemption draws nigh. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, in my role as the, the leader of a ministry called the Finishing Fund, I get to talk to folks all the time about the Great Commission. Um, uh-huh. And I find that very few people are really very aware about what the Great Commission means exactly, how close we are to finishing it, that, they, that it even has a finish line to begin with. And really, that was one of the motivations for me in this project was to, you know, just try to acquaint some people with the fact that we are living in the, you know, within a few years, I think, of seeing that that task um, task finished. Well, I remember back in the 1970s, it was uh, Andre Crouch and the Disciples who came out with a musical piece. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Then... In the same era, in the 1970s, the Gaither vocal band came out with their song, The King is Coming, The King is Coming, I Can Hear the Trumpet Sounding. That was an alert, it seemed to me, in the 1970s, people get ready. Yeah, I think there's been a buildup on this. It's really been going on for for maybe 100 years or more of people becoming aware of this, 
looking forward to it, having a sense that something was was happening. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You started talking about the fact that we're living in the, the day of the 2,000-year anniversary of the return of Christ. Very few people are even talking about that in my right. um my experience. And, you know, that may mean nothing. I actually think it probably means a lot. And, um, but it's certainly a, you know, a big milestone. You'd think folks would be talking about it, uh, quite a lot more. Well, I think part of it is because we have abandoned the fear of the Lord over the past mm-hmm. 50 years, and now we fear man. And mm-hmm. so our focus, even as Christians, is not on the blessed hope of the coming of Christ, but it's on finding some blessed hope for the redemption from all of the fears that we have of the coronavirus. We'll be right back after this, friends, our special guest, Doug Cobb, and then the end will come. What a fascinating and encouraging book this is. You're going to want to make sure you get it and read it. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The book of Hosea contains a very fascinating verse. In fact, I dare say that majority of Christians and even their pastors are not aware of this verse. And if they are, well, it doesn't really seem to grab their sensibilities. But here it is. Come and let us return unto the Lord. After two days will he revive us. And in the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Somebody might say, what? After two days, he will revive us and the third day he will raise us up? Well, maybe if we remember that the apostle Peter told us that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, maybe it would have more significance. After 2,000 years, he will revive us. And in the third thousand years, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Sounds an awful lot like the coming of Christ and the millennium, doesn't it, Doug? Yeah, it sure does to me. Um, it was one of the, the clues I discovered on this adventure you know, of, of studying this for myself. This passage really begins back in Hosea chapter 5, um, where uh, you know the speaker being God, or perhaps the Messiah speaking, says, you know, I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. And really, that's a it's poetic, but it's a description mm-hmm. of what has happened in the relationship between God and the Jewish people in the 2,000 or not quite 2,000 years since the uh, resurrection and the Roman uh, invasion of, of Judah, the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and then the passage you quoted from Hosea 6 talks about the restoration after two days. And I, I interpret those, those two days the same way you do as a 2000 year period of time, which of course we are living um, right at the end of that, of that period, if that's correct. Well, I do believe that that is the case. And a lot of people would argue, well, 
doesn't doesn't the scripture say that no man knows the day or the hour? Yes, that's true. Uh, on the other hand, Jesus mocked the religious leaders of his day, saying, "Look, you guys are supposed to be the elders and leaders of Israel." And you can discern the sky, a red sky in the morning is the sailor's warning, a red sky at night is the sailor's delight, and you can't even discern the times? How dare you call yourselves leaders of Israel? So it's as if it seems to me, Doug, that Jesus was saying, look, you don't know the day or the hour, but you better sure know the season or you're not going to be ready. Yeah, I think there's. I think that's exactly right, and I think there's abundant evidence that you can call them the signs of our times, if you wanted to, mm-hmm. um, that we are living in that that season. The passage from Hosea is, that you just we just talked about is one of those, and I think there are a number of others that likewise indicate that we're living within a few years of the the likely date of his return. Everybody wants to know the signs of the times. Well, <laughs> they're screaming at us. Uh, I remember back in the, uh, it was about 1994, uh, right after, shortly after God had called me to leave the practice of law at the height of my career as a trial attorney in California and to plead his cause in the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. He uh, told my wife and I that we were to up and sell 30 years of business, ministry, and political investment in Southern California, go to the birthplace of the nation, Richmond, Virginia, right on the shores of the James where he would show us what to do. Well, interestingly, I had a year and a half holdover trying to sell my law practice and finish up my cases and so on. And during that period of time, on a busy Southern California freeway, appeared this massive billboard about 60 feet wide. Sword of the Lord coming soon. Hmm. Would that not grab your attention? (laughs) Sword of the Lord coming soon. A month later, another billboard appeared. Prepare to meet thy God. Right out of the book of Amos. On a Southern California freeway. So I tracked down the fellow that was responsible for putting up those billboards. He was a young man in his 30s. He had taken his entire personal investment, believing that God had called him to make that prophetic declaration and to put up those billboards, absolutely convinced that the Lord was coming soon, and God called him to make a statement, a dramatic statement, for Southern California. It seems to me that that kind of thing should begin to get our attention. There is a growing, over the past 25 years, a growing uh, wooing and warning and preparing that Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, the the thing that got me started talking, thinking about this, Chuck, was as I got more and more involved in the effort to finish the Great Commission mm-hmm. and um, discovered. Well, wait a minute. You you must have been a track star. Why's that? Well, you're trying to reach the finish line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. you know, sadly, I was not very fast. Oh, today, and I'm certainly not fast these days. But I understand the idea of a sprint to the finish. All right. Uh, and, and I, you know, I really think that's a great metaphor for where we are uh, these days in this effort. You know, mm-hmm. I, oh, 10 or 15 years ago, I would have had no clue about these things. And as I've said, I, I think sadly most 
folks sitting in the pews in America don't have much of an understanding. But, um, you know, what I've come to see is, is that these things are imminent. My, my, um, boss, so to speak, the head of the organization I help uh, support finishing the task, uh-huh. Rick Warren, uh, has a great metaphor, a great model for the um, the Great Commission. He talks about the three Bs of the Great Commission. Rick's a good Southern Baptist preacher, right? So he, has to have, <laughs> he always has and, to have three points in a prayer. Three, right, three points, and they have to alliterate, right? So three, uh, exactly. The three Bs of the Great Commission. But this is really a great model. I find it very helpful for, for folks to get their arms around what we're aiming for. He talks about a believer in every people group. A mm-hmm. uh, people group is a biblical nation. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation, right. he was talking about those people groups. So a believer in every people group, the Bible translated into every language, that's the second B. And that's where and Wycliffe a, comes in. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And then um, a, a body of Christ, a church, in every place, within walking distance of every person on earth, every village, every neighborhood, every every suburb. So... He says, when we have, when we know that those three things have been accomplished, the believer, Bible, and body of Christ, that we'll know that we're at the, at the Great Commission finish line. Well, so here's, here's the current state of the thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's possible that we will have, uh, crossed the first B finish line, uh, within the next two years or maybe three years. We are. And the first B is, repeat the first B again. Believer in every people group on earth. That's uh, every ethnos group. Every ethnos, that's correct, right? Um, when um, my mentor, Paul Eshelman, started finishing the task back in 2005, there were 3,500 unengaged people groups on earth. That would be people groups that no one had ever been to with the gospel, no believers in those places, no churches in those places, no yeah. witness at all for Christ. And in, Today, again, what we're talking about uh, is ethnos groups. We're not talking right. about nations Nation, as we understand them, or countries, are we? Yeah, we're not talking about France and Germany. We're talking about these 12,000, as you say, ethnos, that's the Greek word, people groups that uh-huh. are scattered around the world. Uh, 3,500 of those with no Christian witness 16 years ago, today that same list has 159 un- unengaged people groups. On wow. Now, there's a few more that need to be on the list that aren't, that we've discovered as we have, you know, gone to the edges and the corners. And so the real number may be more like three or 400, but even so, you get the, the, the picture is clear, right, from 3,500 yeah. to three or 400 in the course of 16 years. I think we're only a couple of years away from seeing that. Like well, that. aren't you glad that Jim Elliott and his troop went down oh, there to the Aka Indians in the 50s, and you don't have I to often, do that? I often say that the folks that are working on this today are standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, the, the folks who went in the old days worked so hard and took so many more risks. Uh, not that it isn't sometimes dangerous today, but you know they were breaking hard ground. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing today how the Holy Spirit is at work around the world. He is he is preparing the hearts and minds of the people that he has called, he's chosen in these places, to receive the, the good news. Often, not all the time, but often, when we help send missionaries to a people group, we'll see the first believer on the first day or within the first few days of mm-hmm. that missionary being in that place. And mm-hmm. that's not because our techniques are great or you know our, our presentations, our materials are so good. It has nothing to do with that. It, 
It is entirely the Holy Spirit being in those places in advance of the the workers, you know, preparing people. So, so uh, Billy Graham had to send forth advance groups uh, before his great uh, uh, gatherings, but the Holy Spirit now is sending forth his advance men, his spirit, uh, in order to prepare the way. Very interesting. Now, about 10 years ago, uh, we began to, we were contacted by a gentleman, pastor in India, southern India, and at that time he had four house churches uh, that he was overseeing and a uh, an orphanage of 115 children. Well, we began to support him, and today they have 54 of these house churches. 54 of these house churches. Uh, that's what I call fruit. Yeah, it's amazing how this is happening um, all around the world. You know, most of us in the West don't really have a good understanding of how the gospel is sweeping through uh, the Islamic world, how people are coming to know Jesus um, mm-hmm. in that part of the world. You know, we, we just don't get a, a vision of it. Uh, a great ministry uh, that my wife and I support in um, in Texas, uh, Global Media Outreach. It's a internet-based evangelistic and discipling ministry. I just uh, used this statistic. Are you, say, are you saying that the Holy Spirit rides on the internet? He can, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. The, uh, in, in, in August of 2019, um, GMO, Global Media Outreach, reported that through their ministry efforts, 500,000 indicated decisions for Christ were made in Muslim countries in that one month of August of 2019. Now, um, that's one ministry, uh, and it's an expensive one, but it's just one ministry. But here, here's what's amazing about that, Chuck. If, if you went back all the way to the founding of Islam in what, what would that be, 643 or something like that, right. AD, mm-hmm. and came, came forward 1,400 years to the year 2000, my guess would be that there weren't 500,000 conversions from Islam to Christianity in that whole 14 centuries. Right. In the whole world and over that time, In the whole right. world. Mm-hmm. And here you have one ministry in one month reporting uh, 500,000 conversions. It, it is a tidal wave. And uh, even if only half of that doing. were true, it's correct. still yes, that's right. amazing. It's amazing. That's, that's still amazing. And so these are the kinds of things that are happening around the around the world in India, as you say. You know, the, the explosion of church planting uh, in really every part of the world. It, it's true. It's it's um, it's a bit of good news that American Christians don't hear much about. We we see you know a lot of decline and chaos in our culture. It almost mm-hmm. feels like the Holy Spirit has withdrawn from our from the West, but at the very same time, these amazing things are happening around the world. All right. We're going to look at uh, uh, another development that uh, uh, even in America, there's a development that is taking place because of the pressure uh, that is coming increasingly on Christians uh, all over the world, including the United States and India and uh, in Muslim countries everywhere. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But, friends, I want to urge you. I really do. You need encouragement. We all need encouragement. And this book is going to encourage you. $14 is going to put this $15 book in your hands. It's called, And Then the End Will Come. It's about the completion of the Great Commission and nine other clues 
that Jesus is coming soon. Go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, and then the end will come. That is good news, friends, because the Bible says that the second coming of Christ is the blessed hope of all professing Christians. But it's only going to be a blessed hope for those who are prepared and looking for his coming, the Scripture says. So here's my question for you. Are you looking? Are you anticipating? And what are you doing in your own life to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour? Get a copy of the book. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Ready a check at $5 of postage and handling? Or get it in your hands? You want to be inspired? We need that right now, don't we? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It was 2,000 years ago after Pentecost, Christians who were then almost entirely Jews came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, embraced him as Lord and Savior, and there was an explosion of the faith so that in one day, the first day that Peter stood up to preach, 3,000 came to the Lord. 3,000 asking, what? shall we do? And he said, repent and believe the gospel. That same message came through with John the Baptist before Jesus came the first time. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the baton was passed to Jesus, he preached the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then each one of the apostles preached repent and believe the gospel. The Apostle Paul to the Gentiles said the same thing. And then, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and also chapter 21, we have at least seven times the message, repent, 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 and repent. That's the most positive word in the Bible, because it's the only word that gives us true hope, repentance. That's how we engage in the gospel. That's how the gospel becomes good news to us. And that's how the gospel would become good news to all of the people groups around the world. And that's why it's called the gospel. 
good news because of the bad news. Now, before the break, we were talking with our special guest, Doug Cobb, regarding his book, And Then the End Will Come. We mentioned the house churches in India. I want to take us back, Doug, for about 2,000 years. After Pentecost, where did the church meet? Yeah, it was in houses. That's where they met, from house to house. Acts mm-hmm. chapter 4 tells us exactly what they did. They met from house mm-hmm. to house. They broke bread together. They prayed together. Uh, it was it was an amazing situation of uh, profound gospel hospitality, and it was said because of that, behold, how they love one another. That's how they met until a fellow by the name of Constantine came on the Roman scene. And Constantine decided, you know what? He had this sign of the cross, this vision, and so he decided that from that time on, he was going to make Christianity the religion of the Roman realm. All of a sudden, the pagan Roman basilicas, the big buildings, began to be converted into churches. So rather than gathering together in the warmth of Christian fellowship, they looked at the back of one another's heads, lined up in rows, just like we do today in America. Unfortunately, or fortunately now, because of COVID, people are no longer going to churches or basilicas as we see them, but they are gathering in homes. I wonder what this portends for the revolution of these end times for the gospel. What do you think? Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Um, It's certainly true that the church in most of the world looks a lot more like that first century church than what you see in the United States and in uh, in the West. Uh, And so, you know, that at least that certainly is true. But I hadn't really thought about what COVID has done and how it has, um, you know, moved the church in many ways back into people's homes. Uh, that That's a very interesting observation. We could call it the COVID connection, couldn't we? That's yeah. a whole program right there. <laughs> There's your next book. <laughs> the COVID connection. It's interesting how God can use that which seems to be negative to accomplish the purposes of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but it's taking people out of the government schools and they're beginning increasingly to homeschool because they see we don't need those government schools anymore, besides which, look how nefarious they are. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's so very interesting. All right. Yeah, it's un- very hard to predict how all of these things will, will shake out, but those are very interesting observations. Okay, so we're putting together a big picture here confirming the signs that Jesus is coming back and he's coming soon. There's a pregnant silence at the other end. I'm sorry, Chuck, I didn't hear it. Did you ask me a question? I said, said, it would seem that the signs are multiplying that Jesus is coming back soon and that the environment is such painting the very picture that Jesus and the apostles painted concerning our times. Yeah, multiplying is an interesting word. Um, 
I think about converging as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you have these different threads from um, the you know from the Bible, from the culture in the church, all coming together and pointing toward you know a narrow range of of time, mm-hmm. beginning probably now and and probably going out to maybe twenty thirty three. Back to your original uh, introduction, probably that's the latest likely date for the resurrection, and so that would be the 2,000-year anniversary, but mm-hmm. sometime in the in that range of 12, 10 or 12 years between now and, and then. Now, the only thing that uh, comes against that or seems to mitigate against that is the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar says that there are about 230, 240 years remaining uh, until 6,000 years after the creation. However, however... There is behind the scenes admission that there are major errors in the Jewish calendar and that, in fact, that time is probably within 50 years to conclude that 6,000-year period before a seventh millennium. Yeah, if you really want to wade into deep water, start wading into the all the you know scholarship around the Hebrew, the Jewish calendar. Yeah, exactly. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it gets it gets over your head really, yeah. really fast. Well, but, I wanted to just bring it up because somebody oh, out there is going to say, "Oh, but how about you know how about yeah, that?" Well, we dealt with the how about there. Now, Hebrews chapter nine tells us that Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What does it mean to wait for him? Yeah, you know, one of the this is this is a critical issue. Does it mean you confessed that Jesus is the Son of God forty years ago at a Billy Graham uh, rally, or does it mean something more than that? Yeah, one of the things that really impressed me as I was studying this is is that the Bible repeatedly encourages God's people to be eager for the return of Christ, to be looking for it, to be mm-hmm. anticipating it, to be excited about it. Right. And, you know, I, I don't think that probably describes the attitude of most folks uh, in churches today. I don't think it would have described my attitude maybe a few years ago before mm-hmm. I began to think about the these things, you know. You mean uh, the Holy Spirit's been getting a hold of uh, uh, Doug Cobb's heart? Believe me, this book was a, a major, <laughs> a major spiritual step forward for me. To, to oh, I believe it, Doug. It's a great book. It's it's just a wonderful book. As I was preparing for the program today, I was so excited to be able to read the book. In fact, I was so delighted that it came out just at the time when I'm writing this new book called Messiah unveiling yeah. the mystery of the ages and you've got some things in here i i might just uh you know <laughs> appropriate help yourself. Help, help, help yourself. we want as many people as possible to know these things yeah, so i'll give a, you credit there's a verse in second peter chapter three that um you know over the course of the last few years has really become sort of my life verse right peter, starts that chapter by talking about the coming judgment, how the elements are going to be destroyed. And Mm -hmm. he asks in verse 11, rhetorically, what, in light of that, what kind of people ought you to be? And he says, we should live holy and godly lives looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And I, I, you know, those four 
instruction. So um, holy, set apart, distinctive, different from our culture. More and more, that's going to be you know hard, but more and more, that's going to be absolutely necessary. Well, here's the problem. Uh, here's the problem. It's very hard for American Christians to fulfill the the uh, Great Commission, even in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, and so on, when we're not living godly and holy lives. Mm-hmm. In other words, our light isn't shining. In fact, if anything, we're actually dimming the light of the gospel by trying to seduce unbelievers into our churches by compromise. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think about that, you know, in the context of the the in, what I think of as the increasing insanity of our culture, and you know how the things that you and I would have taken for granted for most of our lives that everybody would have agreed with suddenly are controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that, there are you know two genders. That's suddenly a controversial uh, statement to make, and. You know, as the, as the culture gets crazier and crazier, I think we're going to have to make choices about um, whether we're going to take a stand and stand firm on what we know to be the, the truth, whether it's the truth of the gospel or the fundamental truths that we know from the scriptures about mm-hmm. creation and the order of creation, or whether we're going to, you know, kind of be dragged along with the, uh, with the culture. And, you know, sadly, Bible seems to say that for many, um, that choice they're going to be is going to be made in the direction of the of the culture. Absolutely. In fact, it already is being made that. In fact, for the sure. past 25 yeah. years, all of the uh, studies, both by secular forces and investigators and by Christians, have confer, uh, concluded that there's very little functional difference between the lives of professing Christians and that of their secular counterparts. And that's really what that word holy is about, you know, that distinction, that difference. You know, God is holy because he is different. He is set apart. He's transcendent. And he calls us to be that way, too, to be holy, to be set apart, mm, to, be, exactly. to be different. And, um, you know, we it, it's sad to say that you're, you're right. The statistics are—I I found them in my research that, you know, for the most part, churches, uh, people in churches are living more or less like people in the culture. There you go. We'll be right back with Doug Cobb in just a moment, and then the end will come. Are you ready? Are you looking for it? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. If you don't like the word Sell Church, consider House Church. 
Home is where the heart is. And that's where the heart of the gospel needs to emanate from with our lives. And our generation has been lulled to sleep by God's patience and misled by the long spans of time over which he works. And now, the Apostle Peter says, in the context of that kind of cultural falling away, the day of the Lord is surely coming. And it's coming soon. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Now, uh, let's talk about the nature of the Great Commission, Greg. I mean, Doug, I'm sorry. Uh, no problem. The Great Commission, I think, has actually not been adequately presented by most of our Christian leaders. Mm. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel teaching them to observe or obey everything that I have commanded. That's the part that hasn't been taught. What has been taught is go and get people to make confessions and not your belt and report back to your uh, organizational hierarchy so you can raise more money that you got more confessions. But whatever happened to obedience, let me tell you what happened. The most hated word in the church today in America is O-B-E-Y. We don't like it. We rebel against it. We're going to do our own thing. Frank Sinatra gave us the mantra for our spiritual lives today. I'll do it my way. Thank you very much. And by the way, if my way happens to agree with yours, Lord, that's cool. Now, if that be true, how do we as Americans in this day and age. How do we communicate the gospel that requires obedience to the word, the will, and the ways of God? How do we do that? Yeah, that, that's a great a great question. You know, it, it Isn't that say, the question of the hour, really? It really is. Uh, you know, it, Jesus didn't say, go and make believers in uh-huh. every nation. He said, go and make disciples in every nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this is one of the reasons that in the in the missions world the focus has really changed in the last oh 10 20 25 years from sort of what you might call drive by evangelism you know uh-huh. go show the go show the Jesus film as you said you know notch a few right. indicated decisions <laughs> on your belt and and then move on to the next place uh, and it's really changed to the place where it almost all now is is about either um what are called church planting movements or mm-hmm. disciple making movements, and right. although although they're slightly different, they have the same uh, ambition, which is to drive that deeper obedience, faithfulness, that discipleship uh, as the end product of the missionary effort, not just a um, you know an indicated decision for for Christ. That's important, you know that that's a step along the way. Um, but you, you, you well, it's like giving a there. birth to a baby, but yeah. you don't leave, leave the baby out there like the governor of Virginia to die. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, a, a, a story my, my friend Paul Eshelman tells me he was in a house church in, oh, somewhere in the world, probably in India, and he was asking him, so tell me what you do here in this church, you know, very basic uh, mm-hmm. church, not mm-hmm. no liturgy, no, none of the fancy stuff, right? And uh, they said, well, um, 
we, we read God's Word, and we, we talk about what it means, and then we do what it says. And mm-hmm. he loves that story because it, it so boils down the essence of discipleship. Isn't that what it is, right? Yeah. We, we read what God's Word tells us. We under, come to understand what it means. Usually that's something we share with other folks. And then if we're disciples, we, we do what it, what it says. Well, that's for 25 the, years, uh, we have been doing exactly that. Ah, that's great. Yeah. 25 years, and uh, uh, people, young and old, uh, educated and uneducated, uh, wealthy and uh, very much not wealthy, have all gathered together, and it is an incredible blending. One would almost have to conclude, behold, how they love one another, but... The foundation is always on the applied word. It's not about information. Mm-hmm. We're on information overload. We don't need more information. We need more transformation. Isn't that right? Yeah. You know, holy and godly, right? We want to be exactly. set apart, and, and we want to be more and more like God. How do we become more and more godly? Well, the, the all the everything we need to know about that is in his word um and it's empowered by his spirit in us so absolutely correct all right now it has been said that we have two things going one is the great commission and the other is the great omission mm-hmm. what does that mean yeah, you're going to have to tell me. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> you haven't heard that one? Oh, well, the not. great omission is that we haven't done the great commission. Oh, well. <laughs> In other words, we actually have missed the mark. I remember uh, seeing Billy Graham interviewed on uh, Larry King Live before Larry King uh, left uh, CNN or whatever he was on. And uh, Larry King was asking Billy Graham, well, I, I assume because you have been so monumentally successful and have such an amazing reputation that there isn't anything that you regret in your life and ministry. Mm. And Billy said, no, that's not true. He said, let me tell you what it is. That I spent all my time evangelizing and I spent almost no time discipling. Think about that. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. You know, um, about twenty years ago, uh, I was asked to start teaching a, um, a Sunday school class, adult Sunday school class at my church. We go to a fairly large church, not a not a small house church. But that little group within our church has become the greatest gift that God ever gave me that I didn't know to ask for. Wonderful. Um, it, because it's exactly what you have described uh, in the cell church or house church movements that you're involved with and that we see around the world. It's a group of people committed to one another and committed mm-hmm. to God's word, committed to holy and godly living, and you know, not just to knowing God's word, but to doing what it says. And mm-hmm. it, you know, sadly, I think so many Christians are trying to live without that call it a support group to use, you know, secular language, but, you know, that body of Christ around them, that is their encouragement, their help, their strength, their, um, uh, you know, their, their 
they're mourners when they mourn. They're, they're rejoicers when they rejoice. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is such an important part of living the Christian life. I, I think something that people are going to need more and more as we approach the, you know, the last days, uh, it's going to be, it's already difficult to live the Christian life standing by yourself. It, it, trying to do it through these next few years, I think, is going to be very, very difficult. We need our brothers and sisters. Well, I think that's why the writer of Hebrews said, as we see the day of the Lord approaching, don't forsake the, the assembling of yourselves together, as the matter of some is, but the more so gather together because of the exceeding deceitfulness of sin and the need yeah. to encourage one another. That's exactly what we need. And praise yeah, the Lord exactly. that God's given you that kind of opportunity there. Now, you talk yeah, about, uh, you conclude your book with, it's sort of a wrap-up, uh, Ten Clues. So uh, everybody loves a mystery. Everybody wants clues uh, to figure out, uh, okay, is he coming? When is he not coming? Uh, what should we be doing? And so on. So uh, clue number one. The completion of the Great Commission. Okay. The imminent completion of it. Now, now wait a minute. I, I want to ask you what the word imminent means, because my understanding of the word imminent means virtually immediately. It doesn't mean soon. It means now. Yeah, in the in the span of time we're talking about, so over a two thousand year period, a period of two to ten years, I I call imminent. So I may be, <laughs> I, may be I, I may be overstretching it a little bit. But let's yeah. call it you know within the next ten years. Okay, I okay, we'll, we'll have crossed those finish lines. All right, just to define our terms here. Now you say of twelve thousand people groups. Biblical nations on earth, there are only a few hundred left with no known believers. So it's possible that those remaining groups could hear by the end of 2022? Yes. You know, remember I had told you earlier in our conversation that the list is down to just 159. And even if you add in the ones that should be on there, it's only a few hundred. Wow. Uh, our, our ministry, the Finishing Fund, helped engage 51 new groups in the first three months of this year. So the, okay. the pace, of enga- pace of engagement is at the order of hundreds of groups a year right now. So we're very, very close. All right. Do you have a finishing ribbon? Is there a ribbon when you <laughs> finish the course, you're going to break through it and uh, throw up a great shout? There's going to be a media celebration? Well, I, you know, I, I wish that that was the case. Probably it, it won't be, be quite so dramatic, but, I, but that's the point when I'm going to start looking up in a serious way. Because, well, I think uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that determines who the finisher was. That's correct. Yes, yeah, exactly right. He's got the timing watch, and he knows exactly when that's yeah, going to exactly. be. Okay, clue number two. What's that? That's the regathering of the nation of Israel. All right, 1948, uh, they just celebrated their 73rd uh, Independence Day. Uh, very big issue. Clue number three. Clue number three, we, we dig into a very mysterious prophecy from Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, mm-hmm. of the 1290 days and the 1335 days. It's the it's the deepest dive in the book. It's the uh, it's the most complicated clue, but pretty yeah. interesting interpretation that we uh, try to. Yeah. Present. Well, you think that indicates the late two thousand twenties for the completion? I do. Okay. Yep. Clue number four. The idea we talked about earlier that biblical history will have a 
6,000-year span followed by a 1,000-year millennium, uh, which is an echo of the six days of creation and the seventh Sabbath day. All right, I uh, agree with that. I think that's exactly what uh, God uh, has in mind, and we see that uh, pattern being laid out in the Scripture. Clue number five. That's the Hosea 5 and 6 prophecy we talked about earlier oh, okay. in, in, in the conversation, and really ties into that 6,000-year uh, history, uh, talking about the two days, the 2,000 years from the um, resurrection to the return. And after two days, we shall uh, rise in his sight and live in his sight. Okay, on the third mm-hmm. day. Okay, clue yeah. number six. It looks like we're getting close to the 70th Jubilee year. The Jubilee was an every 49-year thing in the mm-hmm. nation of Israel. And if you do the math uh, on a guess, on the best guess about when Israel entered the Promised Land, it looks like the 70th of those Jubilees will be in the year 2026. So mm. um, really another clue pointing to... This is a little bit of a tricky one because the Bible doesn't assign any particular significance to the 70th Jubilee, but mm-hmm. there is this pattern of sevens and right. 70, you know, of seven times seven and ten times seven that seems to be significant scripture. So it's a, another good indicator. That brings us to clue seven then. Yeah, that Jesus said that the condition of our culture in the day of his return, the culture would be like the the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And, oh, well, uh, we're, we're right there right now. America's become Sodom. Yeah, I, I think we're really close on that. Okay, clue eight. Clue eight is um, an interesting one. Paul says in First Thessalonians 5 that it, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Well, do you know that exactly... Uh, the purpose of the unions that have been formed, uh, starting with the European Union and the other unions throughout the world, they're being united now for a one-world government. The whole purpose is to reach what the Hebrew word shalom means, that is peace yeah. and safety. Well, the condition of the church was uh, uh, clue number 10, signs of technology, clue number 9, and the book, friends, oh, you just really have to get the book. It's a $15 book, yours for $14. It's on our website, saveus.org, and then the end will come. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Get your copy. Read it. uh, Pray. Let's believe God. Let's uh, look forward to his appearing. God bless. It be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.